Welcome to the podcast of Rainbow Family Christian Center with Pastors Horace and Patricia Drumming. We would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray that you are impacted, inspired, and encouraged by the Word of God. Let's check out today's message. See, we've coming, we're in a season where so many people have felt like, I've got to stay a distance, or I've got to stay apart from, but the Spirit of God is calling His children back to a place where there's grace, where there's mercy, where there's power, where there is anointing. And the anointing of God is designed to destroy yokes and remove burdens. But you got to come into his presence. That's the whole key. It's like, is pastor a broken record? I'm not a broken record. I'm just telling you, I know that God has victory. Yesterday, I just shared what God told me about 2023. He says, in 2023, victory, victory, victory. Everybody say that. In 2023, victory, victory, victory. See, God has nothing but victory for you. The battles, then we will have some battle, but he'll fight your battle. He'll win for you every time. Whatever the devil meant for evil, God is going to turn it for your good. It's the devil who wants your back to be out of commission. It's the devil that wants the car to roll over you and kill you. It's the devil that wants whatever circumstances happen in your life, he doesn't want you to have your joy. He doesn't want you to have your victory, but say, he's given me the victory. Say it again. He's given me the victory. Take your victory. Take your victory. Take your victory. God has given you the victory. Let me take a transitional time, a moment right now. And this transition will allow us to let our children get into the place that they need to be. You've got a testimony? Offering, she says, offering. We'll do it. We'll give it at a point in time. <laughs> I gotta preach. I gotta preach. I, I I gotta flow wherever the Holy Ghost will tell me. And I appreciate people reminding me of certain things that they feel like I've forgotten. Look, people who love God, they come prepared to give to God. You don't have to prime the pump. It's important to teach and keep teaching on giving and tithes and offering, but you don't have to prime the pump. Even if I didn't, look, there was a Sunday we were giving honor, and a lot of people came and we gave honor. I never received an offering. But our offering wasn't lacking on Monday because you know what? People came with their heart to give. And even if I forgot to say, let's receive the tithes and offering, they knew we're not leaving here until we give. People online gave that day, and we never even mentioned it. That's how our hearts are. How many of you came prepared to give to the Lord today? Amen. When that time comes, we're just going to give. Our children, come, come. All of our children, just stand. Stretch your hands out toward children as you see them. Faith is going to take them. Whitney is going to take them. They have been really working hard to lead us in worship and in praise on Christmas Eve night, which is a 6 p.m service. Father, I thank you for these beautiful children that we see all over the congregation. And I thank you, Father God, for their devotion and their dedication and that they would bring to you on this prepared night of Christmas Eve a song of praise, a song of worship, a song of celebration about the goodness of our King. And we thank you, Father, for 
the joy that they'll have in their preparation, the joy that they'll have this day in preparing for the coming of the King. In Jesus' name, amen. Kids, go ahead and go to that uh, session. Um, let me just say, while the children are transitioning, uh, that we have just got to move toward that. You know, uh, Sister uh, Felicia was giving her testimony as she preached a couple of weeks ago. And, and, and as pastor, I knew I just couldn't push her to get into some things that uh, she had a plate full. She was taking care of her father who eventually went home to be with the Lord. She was taking care of her daughter who would have a child prematurely. She was taking care of her mother whose health was at that time also failing. She was working a full-time job and then pastor needed her to be a, a lead for children's ministry. And so I pushed back a little bit. But the Lord is saying, we've got to push forward. Everybody say, push forward. We need all teachers. We need people who, it's in your heart to teach. We're going to have a time, I think it probably will be a Zoom meeting. Uh, uh, Felicia was talking to me along that line yesterday. And, and we're just going to have a meeting and a, and a time of prayer. And we're going to get back into our classrooms with our children and do what the Bible tells us that we're supposed to do along with the parents. Train our children. The Bible says train them in the way that they should go. So often, some of the things that are happening in life is because people weren't trained. Children weren't trained. They didn't get a knowledge of who God was. And in their lives, it's not that they can't come to God, but it's much tougher to pull them back. Because the Bible speaks about people being right on the edge. And there are people who have walked almost to the edge of hell. But it's not impossible to get them back. But how many of you know it's better to build and construct the house correctly from the beginning than to have to do renovation? And so that's what we want to do, and that's what Children's Church is about, building them up. Grandparents, if your children won't bring your children to church, you load them up and you bring them. You don't want to see your children and your grandchildren grow up not knowing God. Care enough about them. Care enough about their souls because, look, when Jesus returned, everyone that's of an accountable age will have to give an account. Amen? Well, praise God. We've got to get into the Word. Last week, we were in a subject matter that I call feeding your faith and starving your fears. We looked at Numbers chapter 13. From the NIV version, we read most of that text. And that text shared with us that 12 men went by direction of their leader Moses into a land that God has described as flowing with milk and honey. Now they went in and they saw the land. They even brought back fruits and resources from that land that proved that it was exactly what God said it would be. However, they did not feed their faith and they fed their fears rather than starving the fear. And all of a sudden they began to embellish and to magnify why they couldn't. Do you know in the Bible there is no I can't? There is nowhere in the Bible that speaks to us about I can't. 
always in the Bible is something referencing what you can do. Say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. It didn't say that you, the Bible says things like this. Nothing shall be impossible with God. On your own, absolutely impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. In other words, limitations are taken off. But if you feed fear, and how many of you know God has not given us a spirit of fear, but what? Power, love, and a sound mind. But this spirit feeds off of negativity. And if you keep feeding your fear and spreading your fear, you can affect other people. Because then when we finish Numbers 13, seeing how negative they were, by the time you get to chapter 14, the Bible says the whole congregation, they're mad at Moses, they're mad at Aaron, you can't make us go in, why did you bring us out here? We were better off back in Egypt. And no, they weren't. Everybody say, that's a lie. That's a lie. See, the devil is a father of lies. And he wants you to get over into a point where you start believing the devil's lies. How many of you know by his stripes you're healed? What will the devil tell you? You're sick. You can't make it. How many of you remember what he told Gideon when, before Gideon was able to go have the great victory that we would later find Gideon? He said, Gideon, you are a mighty man. He spoke of him relative to valor, greatness. You know what Gideon said? But I'm the least of my tribe. How many of you know that sometimes you can minimize yourself? That's exactly what was happening in the book of Numbers. You remember when they went in, they said, but these people are, the Amalekites are huge. We are like, remember what they said about themselves? We're like grasshoppers. Don't let the devil get you to start speaking language where you minimize yourself. Anybody know what God has said about you? He says, you are what? The head, not the tail. You are above, not beneath. You are more than. Everybody say more than. Say it again, more than. See, we can understand the word conqueror, but do you understand God says you are more than that? Somebody say, I'm the man, or the lady say, I'm the, la I'm the woman. Come on, say it. I'm, I'm, I'm the woman. God is telling you, 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 you rate high. You're a child of a king. God is saying that, look, no weapon formed against you can prosper. You're always going to come out victorious. Yeah, we may walk through some trials, some tribulations, some struggles, but you're going to walk through them. Anybody know the 23rd Psalm? What does the 23rd Psalm remind us? Yea, though I walk. Yea, though I walk. Yea, though I walk. Yea, do I walk? You don't stay there. You walk through it. In other words, trouble is going to come, but it can't stay. Why? Because you refuse to give any place.
to the devil. You don't feed fear. You start feeding your faith. Matthew chapter 14 is where I'd like for you to go with me this morning real quick. Matthew chapter 14. I've asked him to put the NIV, I don't know if that's the NIV, is that the NIV version or NLT? NLT, that's the New Living Translation. It reads about the same as the NIV. But let's look at this. It says immediately, immediately after this. What is the after this? See, that's sort of sometimes when we're reading the Bible, it, it behooves us to go back and put things back into context. So, Alfred, you're going to have to back it up for me just a little bit if you can. He says, oh, pastor's making me work this morning. Yeah. Come on, everybody give Alfred a hand clap. He works really hard back there in that, that booth. He really does. He puts a lot of things together. We're going to back it up to the first verse, and I'm going to go back and do it really quickly to help you to see immediately after this what happened and what's now immediately happening, happening after this occurrence had taken place. So when you go back to the first verse, you're, you're there, right? You're in, it says, when Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about Jesus, Come on, we're going a little further. He said to his advisors, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. Look, he knew John was powerful. How many of you remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist is the one by the Jordan says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. You know what Herod did to John the Baptist, don't you? You know that John the Baptist called him out. People don't like to be called out today. They say, you know, you're doing this to me, you're doing that. Folks, the Bible has always had the people of God and the men of God calling people out. And Herod was called out. Herod was called out because he was in adultery with his brother's wife. And not only was he a pervert in that area, he had lust for the woman that he was having adultery with, he was having lust for her daughter. And she knew it. And here's what happened. When John calls him out and says to Herod, this is not right. This is sin. You'll have to give accountability for that. He, the, 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 the wife doesn't want, uh, his brother's name is Philip, she doesn't want it to come out, so she says to her daughter, you know, this kind of reminds me, yeah, I'm going on record by saying it. This kind of reminds me of Monica Lewinsky. How many of you could bring a dress with somebody's semen on it to your mama and say, hold it for me? You all thought it was kind of innocent. That was nothing innocent about that. A mother's holding a dress. And she says, the semen of the president is on it, and I might have to use it sometime. That's not so innocent as, it, as was painted. But this mother is very similar where she says to her daughter, dance for the king, dance for Herod. And when Herod makes, you know, I'm paraphrasing now, when Herod makes a pass at you, tell him you want something. The daughter's probably saying, well, what should I tell him I want, Mom? She says, ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. This is the same Herod we're talking about. I just want you to know the Bible. He said to his advisors, this must be John the Baptist. He beheaded John. And now look at what he's thinking. That John has been raised back up. He knows he's messed with a powerful man of God. And now in his mind, John must have been raised up from the dead. He's, he's a little bit nervous, you can imagine. 
He must have, he said to his father, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is doing miracles. It's known. How many of you know miracles are supposed to be following you? Why will miracles follow you when you do the word? Signs and wonders follow the word. If you haven't seen miracles happening in your life, get in the word then. Start speaking the word. Start living the word. Start operating along the word. Because that's where faith comes, you know. Faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing what? The word of God. And not just having heard the word, but hearing and hearing. In other words, there's a magnification that takes place when you keep hearing the word of God. You get stronger. How many of you know if you eat? Not just one day, but every day, you're likely to get what? Somebody's a fat. <laughs> Stronger. <laughs> Stronger. Don't do it in, in excess. But you're supposed to get stronger. Amen? Stronger. <laughs> Let's go on to the next verse. You're going to mess me up. I'm not going to be able to preach. <laughs> verse 4. Verse 4 now. In, in verse 4. Uh I'm sorry, Alfred, you were right. Verse 3. <laughs> For Herod had arrested and imprisoned John as a favor to his wife, Herodias, the former wife of Herod's brother, Philip. Let's go on. You, I just told that story to you already. And John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry her. And Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of a riot because all the people believed John was a prophet, and they were right. But at a birthday party for Herod, Heroditus' daughter performed a dance that greatly pleased him. And so we're talking about his lust. So he promised with a vow to give her anything she wanted. Old men, young women, promising everything. Y'all know where it's coming from there. Mm -hmm. So he promised with a vow to give her anything she wanted. Come on, let's go down to verse 9 because we're trying to get back to where we started. And her mother, urging the girl, said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a tray. Mm. That's devious. Then the king regretted what he had said. How I many of you know regret doesn't get it? Repentance is the only thing that will change. A lot of people regret how they live their life. A lot of people regret what they said. A lot of re people regret what they've done. But nothing will change in your life until you repent. Regret doesn't get it. Judas regretted having taken the silver, but he never repented. Folks, life, when, it's not a matter of if you're going to make a mistake. It's when you make a mistake, just know what to do. And what, you should, what, what should you do? Same thing that John was crying in the wilderness, repent. How many of you know God is faithful and just to what? Forgive. Folks, I can't even list all the times I've messed up. I, every time, though, I've learned, go to God, go to God. Before, when I would mess up, I would go to who I call my best friend. They don't have no answers. Matter of fact, most of your best friends will advise you to run and hide. Come on, you know that's the Adam and Eve syndrome? Run and hide. And God is simply going to say, where are you? Come on back. Come on back. 
Then the king regretted what he had said, but because of the vow he had made in front of his guests. How many of you know some of you are doing more what you do because of other people rather than God? And here's a man who needs to make a change, but he's concerned about what he said in front of other people. Image. How many of you know you're, you're made in the likeness and the image of God? You're not made in the image of man. You're not here to be a man pleaser. You're here to be a what? God pleaser. But this is showing us how influential people are on people's lives and their decisions. And they'll help you go straight to hell. He regretted it. So he issued... He, he, but because of the vows he had made in front of his guests, he issued the necessary orders. Go on. So John was beheaded in the prison. What had John been doing? Saying, repent. What had John been saying to him? You ought to live holy. Your lifestyle that you're living. Folks, I'm, I'm telling you, there's nothing that you, if you even think you're hiding it, let me just say, you might be hiding it from a human being, but you're not hiding it from God. You're never going to be able to hide anything from God. Everything hidden, the Bible says, will be revealed. Look straight up and say, let's get right with God. You know, sometimes you got to speak to yourself in that way. Let's get right with God. Let's get right with God. Let's go on now, Alfred. Thank you. And his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who took it to her mother. Wow. It's your Bible. And later, John's disciples came for his body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus what had happened. Come on. And as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowd heard where he was headed and followed on foot for, from many towns. You see, sometimes heaviness comes on us and you want to just kind of push away and have some quiet time, but sometimes you can't get that quiet time because people are following you, people are calling you, people are texting you, people are emailing you, people are calling for appointments. Jesus just wanted to be alone, but he couldn't be alone. Look at what happens now. Verse 14, we're getting back to where we were. Amen? And Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And this is what people of God do. They go an extra mile. This is what it says. He said he had compassion on them. And what did he do? He healed their sick. See, sometimes you don't know the burden that's on people when you're pulling on them for a blessing for your life. But yet that person who has a need, and Jesus had a need to be consoled. I mean, you know, that's his first cousin. John is a, the, the son of Elizabeth. Elizabeth is the first cousin of Mary. That's Jesus' first cousin. It's not just he was a prophet. Yeah, intricately related. And Jesus is sad, but even in his sadness, how many know even through your sadness you can minister? Now, I'm going to say something that I don't want it to be something hurtful to my wife, but our baby girl, her name is Charity. She was with us for 10 days and she went home to be with the Lord. 
I was hurting, and I know Pat was hurting. I was crying, and I know Pat was crying. And I know sometimes we didn't have words that even that we felt we could say to each other. And in the midst of our hurting and needing perhaps comfort and reassurance, what we found ourselves doing was ministering. And I can't tell you how many people we ministered to. More than two dozen. People who started to talk about abortions that they had and they never told anybody, but that brought pain to them. People who, 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 who did things and said things and lost children and nobody even knew they had lost children. But they came and, and the Lord used us to minister and he helped us. Do you, do you know what you want God to do for you, he actually wants you to do for somebody else. Let, let's say it like this. Give and it shall be what? Given. Sometimes you've got to be the one sowing, though you think some people ought to be sowing into your life. And there are people who live their whole life wanting other people to do stuff for them. If somebody else would just do something for me, if this person would just do something. How many remember Brother Felix was preaching a message and the Lord just quickened me to help him to see that as well. That man by the pool, remember what he said? I, when the water is stirred, he says, I have nobody to put me in. And that man had been by that pool of Bethesda for a long time. Some people are stuck and have been stuck for a long time, but they're stuck in this long season because they're waiting, waiting for somebody else to get them into their blessing. And sometimes God wants you to get up and take up your bed and walk. So we're looking at Jesus and we're looking at all of the humanity of Jesus. He is hurting. He wants to go and be alone for just a little while, but people are following him and pressing him. And yet he knows, I'm called to minister. How many of you know you're called to minister? The Bible says every one of you are a minister of reconciliation. And sometimes you have to minister through your pain. And as you minister through your pain, others get healed. Jesus is ministering to his pain right here. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them. So some of us, we, we say, well, just leave me alone. Don't get to that. Don't, don't get bitter. There's a lady who wrote a song. He said, let's not get bitter. Let's get better. I've watched people who get bitter. People who get bitter leave you. People who get bitter uh, say all kinds of things about you. People who get bitter actually brings down things in the kingdom of God rather than lifting up Jesus. Let's go to the next verse. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. And it's already getting late. In other words, <laughs> Ain't a whole lot going on here, Jesus. I mean, you know, people are sometimes uncomfortable with quiet places. Jesus wanted a quiet place. He went to a remote place. It was making them a little bit uncomfortable. 
See, this is why I, I, sometimes I share with you, prayer is a remote place. It calls you away from the noise. You all like to sing the song with Israel Hoffman when he says, away, away from the noise. To spend some time alone with you. But most people don't like that kind of remote. Give me the other remote. I need to see something else coming on. I need activity in my life. And that evening, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. He said, send the crowd away so that we can go to the villages and buy food. They were hungry. No, nothing wrong with being hungry, but they just, they just want to send the people away. Come on, let's go a little further, Alfred. We're trying to get there. Next verse, please. But Jesus said, it isn't necessary. That isn't necessary. You feed them. Now, you know what happens here. This is where the 5,000 gets fed. This is where sometimes when people want to send people away, Jesus is always saying, no, feed them. Look, there are times, folks, even in the morning era that we're living in, and this month of November that just passed in December, I'm tired. I mean, I get here at 6 o'clock, and at 6.10, there's a lady named LaJuan that say, Pastor, you here? And I go open the door, and there are others that come in really early in the morning, too. I'm not the only early bird. And so about 1 o'clock, pastor is tired. I mean, I have lifted 50, 100 or more pounds of potatoes or tomatoes or meat or whatever. And the other day, I was lifting turkeys, and I looked in the box, and there was four men there, and they all weighed over 20 pounds, Ron. I said, oh, Lord. I was lifting these things, throwing them around like they were. But after a while, you know, your body has had its toll. And every now and then, I'm just trying to paint a picture for you. Every now and then, somebody roll up who had a 10 o'clock appointment. It's not 1 o'clock. You know what I want to do. <laughs> Same thing the disciples wanted to do. Can we send them away, Barry? Close the door. But there are times when the Lord will say, no, feed them. God, they knew that appointment was 10 o'clock. They got a watch. They got a cell phone. They got a clock in their car. They went and did other things, and God still doesn't change his mind. Feed them. <laughs> Come on, Alfred. Let's go a little further. You got the picture. But they, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Surely this is enough to convince God to change his mind, isn't it? 5,000 people and five loaves. Man, Norma can eat the five loaves by herself. What, what are we talking about? 5,000. <laughs> and Jesus said, bring them here. Bring the loaves here. Bring the fish here. How many of you know whatever you bring to Jesus, Jesus can bless it, Jesus can break it, and Jesus can multiply it? So they did, and then, they, then he told the people to sit down on the grass, and Jesus took the five loaves, the two fish, looked up toward heaven, blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he started to give it and give the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. Come on, let's go to the next one. And they all ate as much as they wanted. Wow. Everybody say, buffet. 
They all ate as much as they wanted. They buffeted that body that day. From five loaves, two fish. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. I like the preacher's message every now and then on a little boy who was willing to give up his lunch. A little boy who was willing to give up his lunch made a difference. If you'll just be willing to give up just a little, it'll make a difference. That's why the Bible says, your faith, like the seed of a mustard seed, will move a mountain. I have purpose, purpose to buy mustard seed because I said, Lord, most people in the city don't know what no mustard seed look like. How many of you have seen a mustard seed? Few of you now. I don't know if I still have some mustard seeds down there, Kyle, but anybody that don't have know what a mustard seed, that thing is so little you can barely. Oh, Miss Barbara said, I got some. Amen. Y'all see Miss Barbara because she got some. And Bear, Bear, Brother Barry say he got some. He just pulled them out from under the pastor's chair. Mustard seed. Because we want people to realize that it just takes a little. If you're willing to just give God just a little of your time, if you're just get, willing to give just a little back of what God has blessed you, God can take it and he can present it before the Father on your behalf. And it will feed you and it will feed multitudes of others. That's how God blesses us. And about 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. Do you understand that's 5,000 plus? I love that because I, I know most people, you want to stop at 5,000, but that's 5,000 plus. Let's just say half of the men were married. Let's just say half of them had one child. Do you understand? That exponentially adds to the number of people that were fed that day. Now, this is where we were going to start from, all right? So you understand what has happened now. John the Baptist is dead. Jesus is trying to get away and just get a little solitude. The crowd, they're enamored by it. Do you know, when God starts to doing something in your life, people want to follow. Jesus wants to rest, but he has compassion and he blesses the people, feeds them, even though people want to send them away. So immediately now, after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. Now, when you use this word lake, you all, all immediately know they're in Galilee. You immediately know that this is sometimes referred to as the Sea of Galilee. It's not a sea. The Sea of Galilee is literally a lake, Lake Gennesaret. And you say, why did, why did they call it a sea then? Well, I've heard an explanation. I think it was sarcastic when they shared it, but it sounds pretty good to me. It says, you know, these are people who have been wandering in the wilderness for a long time. And they came up over the hill, over the mountain, and they looked, and there was this lake of water, and they say, see? <laughs> I don't know that to be true. But immediately after, Jesus tells them, get in the boat and go. Now look at this. After sending them home, he went into the hills by himself to what? How many of you know we ought to be imitators of Christ? Sometimes there are times when, uh, especially when Charity went home to be with the Lord, we sent people away. I'm a pastor that actually would come in your home sometimes when I see too many people in there and ask some people to go home. My sister was laughing with, at me a few weeks ago, um, a few months now. My brother-in-law went home to be with the Lord. 
And I was at her house, and there was a lot of people at the house. They just were yappy, 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 yappy. And I just came in and said, it's time to go home. <laughs> Do you realize that you're supposed to go visit people, but you can't stay all day? And there are times when people just come and they sit. You still got stuff to do. You still have papers that you have to go through. You have things that you need to talk to family members privately about. But everybody's just sitting, eating up all of the cake that come in, too much cake and too much chicken. <laughs> and so I just came in and I said, time to go home. Now, I appreciate that. There's a member in here right now, and she will remember that incident. But I, I, I so appreciate it. As a matter of fact, I, my... My respect for her went even to a higher level because she says, you're right, Pastor. And she just got up. And, and her movement helped all of the other people in that room to move right on out because it was too late. My sister had asked me to come over. She wanted to talk to some things to me privately. And I've been sitting two hours and could not have that conversation with her because I won't go too further on that because it feels like the room was sinking there for a moment. I want you to rise up. <laughs> but I just want to give you instructions along that line. Go and learn how to minister to people and go. You don't have to sit all day. That's Pastor's sidebar. After sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Come on. Let's go a little further. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land. For a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. Now, don't get all holy-roly on us now. You see somebody walking on water, you probably going to be terrified, too. But you ain't seen, anybody in here seen anybody walk on water? I've seen people ski. I've seen people on boats. I've seen people on floats and other types of devices. I haven't seen anybody walking on water. So they hadn't seen, and it's 3 o'clock in the morning. How many of you are really awake at 3 o'clock in the morning? Besides Pastor. <laughs> How many of you are really awake at 3 o'clock in the morning? So it's 3 o'clock in the morning. And in fear, everybody say in fear. In fear. Say it again, in fear. in fear. Remember what we're saying, feed your faith. Starve your fears. But in fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. Casper, you know. But... Jesus spoke to them at once. One of the things that you can be assured of, if fear tries to come on you, the Bible says it's a spirit, and God's going to speak to you. And he says, my sheep know what? And the voice of the? Or the ghost. You understand? Fear. God's not going to let fear grip you if you'll just pay attention to his voice. I want to do an example here to, just to help you to see. Two voices can be speaking to you, but you still can recognize the voice that's trying to help you. I see Colonel Barton here sitting with his mom, Icy. 
Stand up with me, Colonel. We're both going to speak to Icy. Now, Icy, I want you to be truthful now. I want you to tell me whether you can discern Charles' voice from my voice. Just start talking to your mom and say hello to her or whatever. And I see I'm talking to you too. Now, you, who are you listening to? You listening to Charles or are you listening to me? Charles, you got to talk now. <laughs> the example, go ahead, talk to her. Talk to her. Hey, mom, how you doing? You look great today, mom. I, I, I see I need you to go do this and do that. And uh, do you? Oh, yeah. What did you hear, I see? She ain't even remember anything I said. No, I heard. <laughs> the, the, here's the thing. You, you got to kind of get the example that I'm trying to give. You can have two voices coming at you. But the Bible says, my sheep know what? My voice. And she heard that voice. She heard my voice. But she also heard his voice. His voice was saying, uh, fix me some sandwiches. I'm hungry. <laughs> she heard it. Look, God is always telling you that fear that you are about, that's not me. That thing that's trying to grip you, that's not me. God's going to be able, to, always going to say, be bold, be strong. The Lord your God, he's with you. But you know what, you see what happened? But Jesus, but Jesus spoke to them at once. It's quick. Whenever you're in trouble, God's going to speak quickly to you. You just got to have an ear to hear what God is saying. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Say never alone. Never alone. That's a promise from God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But we're on a boat. The wave, the tempest is blowing. It's rough out here. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. My back. Oh, Lord, my back. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Oh, Lord, my checkbook. Lord, have mercy. There ain't nothing here. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Lord, my children. Oh, Lord. Uh, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. I am with you. Then Peter called to him. Now, remember Jesus out there walking on the water? He's afar off, 3 o'clock in the morning. They see him, and they think it's a ghost. And he says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm here with you. And Peter called to him and says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you. I love that. Tell me. How many of you want God to tell you what to do rather than you telling God what to do? Too many prayers I watch of people trying to tell God what to do rather than saying, God, tell me what to do. When you start to try to tell God what to do, you're now leaning to your own understanding. Now, it's important for you when you're praying to understand that if you're praying his word, you're going to be praying his will. But if you're not praying his word, you're praying your will. And you're trying to tell God what to do. Anybody ever have a job in here? Raise your hand. <laughs> Got one now. Now, if you're not the supervisor of that job, do you go in to the supervisor and say, hey, Mr. Supervisor, Mr. Boss, Miss Boss, whoever, this is what I want you to do today. I don't know about you. I went into a lot of staff meetings in the Pentagon, but I went in with my little notepad. No, they're not. If, you're, if you weren't in debt, 
If you had cash right now, things are good. You can buy property, a diamond. And I need to be taking notes. When you go to prayer, don't ever go to prayer without a notebook. Go to prayer with a notebook, with a blank page on that notebook. Because God is generally going to tell you something that you need to do. Not necessarily what you need him to do. You are reversing that thing. Here's Peter. I love Peter. Yes. Go back to that verse, Alfred. I'm sorry. I got a little carried away there. Look at what Peter said now. He's still got to back up to verse 28. Give him just a minute. Then Peter called to him and says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. I mean, you know, you can do what Jesus is doing, even greater things will you do in his name. So Peter says, if it's you walking on the water, I want to do what you're doing. I want to walk on the water. How many of you know Jesus is a healer? How many of you know you can lay hands on the sick and they will be healed? Some of us as Christians have never laid hands on anybody. Singing again. We need to get somebody in here to check that floor. It's, uh, when I get right there, I feel like it's sinking. <laughs> I need people of faith. You ought to be able to do what Jesus did. If Jesus lays hands on the sick and they get healed, you have to know this. You can lay hands on the sick and they'll get healed. Peter knows and he says, I believe it's you walking on the water, so I want to walk on the water. Now, folks, don't be asking to walk on the water just for the sake of walking on the water. I want people to know I walked on the water like Peter. No, that's the purpose for Peter walking on this water. So here's what happens. Next verse now, Alfred, verse 29. So Jesus says, yes, come. Everybody says, yes. yes. Jesus is speaking to his children. When you ask God for something, God is speaking. It's either going to be yes or it's going to be no. When he says no, close the door on that. But he says yes, step out. He says yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Everybody says, feed your faith. Feed your faith. Starve your fears. Now, faith caused him to step out of the boat. This boy has never stepped out of the boat in the water before. But at Jesus, say, at his word. Say it again, at his word. See, the first miracle that takes place in the Bible, it's along those same principles. Whatever he says to do, do it. That's not a Nike expression. That's a biblical expression. Just do it. Nike has made billions off of it, but it's still a biblical expression. Whatever he says to do, just do it. So Jesus says to Peter, come. And faith, he steps over and out of the boat and onto the water and began to walk. Everybody says, but you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Look at your neighbor says, keep your eyes on Jesus. So now, let's go down to the next verse, Alfred, with us. Verse, 20, uh, verse 30 in Matthew chapter 14 says, But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Again, you see what's happening? He saw something. Fear now comes again. 
when the fear came, what happened? Instead of him now continuing to walk on the water, what is happening for him? He's sinking. I want you to get this principle, this knowledge this morning. You got to keep walking by faith. Because the moment that you allow fear to get into your life, you start to sink. And that's exactly where the devil wants you to be. Now, here's a principle also. Here's a second principle that you can see in this very verse. Peter does something that's right. He does something that's biblical. What does he say? Save me, Lord. Somebody shout that. Save me, Lord. Save me, Lord. Whenever you feel like you are sinking, shout out to the Lord. Save me, Lord. Save me, Lord. Look at the next verse now, Alfred. Everybody say immediately. Say it one more time. Immediately. 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 Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. He says, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? Now, I'm going to say this. Because I ain't trying to bash Peter here. A little faith is better than no faith. How many of you, by raising your hand, have walked on the water? He walked on the water with a little faith. Think of what you can do when it gets magnified, your faith, your focus. So here's what I want you to take home today. If you're going to feed your faith, you've got to stay focused on what God says. The Bible says... You and I are not supposed to lean to our own understanding or even to the understanding of man. Focus on what God said. That focus brings something called magnification in your life. You're magnifying God. That's what David did when he faced Goliath. Do you know that David magnified God? He said to even his enemy, he said, when the lion came, my God did this. When the bear came, my God did this. And Goliath, I see you, I hear you, and I know you're present, but my God is greater. Somebody say, greater is he. Say it again. Greater is he. Greater is he that is in you. And you've got to magnify the greater one. You can't magnify the wind. You can't magnify the rain. You can't magnify the outside elements or disturbances. You can't magnify what you don't think has fallen in place right now. What you don't think has come to pass right now. You've got to magnify God. You've got to magnify his word. I, Alfred, I don't know if you can do that illustration for me. We're talking about water. Do you know you can magnify water? In other words, you can put so much pressure. Water can turn. How many? All of us use water, right? Yeah. I suspect that you use some today. <laughs> I'm just saying. And, and, and it felt really gentle to your body when you turned on your shower or your faucet. It felt gentle. You wash your hands in it. You wash your body. 
I didn't have to wash my hair today. I'll get it tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> but the water was gentle. Matter of fact, we even put various types of faucets in our showers and baths so that we get what? That massaging. I I know I have a setting, man. I just stand there. It's like, oh, oh, this is good. But water magnified can do something really powerful. I want to give you an illustration. Alfred, if you're ready to go with it, do that illustration for me. You can see that that's a padlock. That's water. 60,000 PSI. That's water. That's not steel. That's water. Cutting through steel. Magnified. Powerful. That's just from water. What's the point that I'm trying to make? What's going to happen when you magnify your praise? What's going to happen when you magnify the word in your life? What's going to happen? You know, when you all used to sing a song that says, break every chain, I don't think anybody understood how you break chains. The chains get broken when you start praising God. The prison doors start opening up when you start praising God. When you magnify, this is why the psalmist said, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together because that's how you're feeding your faith. Plus, if you're not praising God, then you're giving attention to your fear and then you, instead of starving it, you're now feeding it. And you don't want to feed fear. Fear is not your friend. Fear is not your friend. God wants you to magnify him. I've run out of time to keep preaching this message, so I got to pick it up next week. I've got some very, as a matter of fact, I've got five principles that I want to give to you in terms of what you can learn from Peter. And this journey that we just talked, these messages, this, uh, scriptures that you just went over, I, I found five things, and I'm probably there's more in it, but five that just stood out to me that we need to do. Let me give you one, so just give you a little taste of it. How many know when you're cooking something, it's all right to give somebody a little taste? And then say, come on back, we're going to get the full meal. Peter came to Jesus not after the storm was over. Peace doesn't come after the storm is over. Peace comes right in the midst of the storm. You have to just go in the presence of God right in the midst of the storm. Did you know that the storm was still going on when Peter stepped out of the boat? Did you know that the storm was going on when Peter stepped and, and, and started walking on the water? The storm was still there. So I'm just saying to you, it's not the absence of the storm, it's the presence of the Lord. That was one thing that you can learn from Peter. I'll pick up the next four next time. It's not the absence of the storm. It's the presence of the Lord that makes the difference. 
Amen. Now, back to where Whitney and Miss Pat tried to take me earlier. How many cheerful givers are here in the house of the Lord this morning? We're going to receive our tithes, and we're going to receive our offering at this time. I'm going to ask you to come and quickly bring your tithes and offering. And then I'm going to ask you to sit back down for a moment. And we're going to take communion, and then we're going to go out with a song. Amen? Amen. So come, those who said to me earlier, I'm prepared. I, I came to the house, and the Bible said, you never should come to the house of the Lord empty-handed. I don't care if it's a penny that you give. Give the penny. But don't ever come to the house of the Lord empty-handed. And even if you said, I don't even have a penny, I don't, Pastor, I don't have a penny to my name. I, I was thinking about a man by the name of Kenneth Copeland who talked about one time he was in a service and he really, 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 really wanted to give. And he says, I didn't have anything to give. So he took an envelope and they had a little pencil, you know, so that people could fill out the envelope. And he says, I, I wrote a note on the back of the envelope and he says, I don't have anything to give, but by faith I'm just putting this little pencil in the envelope. And he wrote on the envelope what he wanted to give. He said, this is what was in my heart, and if I had it, this is what I would give. And he put that envelope in the, in the offering container. And he said, before he could get out of the congregation, somebody walked up to him. They weren't sitting close to him. They didn't see what he wrote. They didn't know what it was in his heart. And, and, and they just said, here. And when he opened it, it was the very amount that he wrote on the envelope. And he went right back immediately and put that in the offering. See, God will, say, say God will. God will. will supply, supply all my need, all your need, according to his riches, in glory, by Christ Jesus. The disciples were worried one time, how are we going to pay our taxes? And Jesus, you remember how Jesus just dealt with that? He said, go down there, there's a fish down there. See, some of us think that's corny. Do we think that's crazy that God will do something like that? But God can do miraculous and amazing things. Yeah. Miss Pat and I got married on January 31st, 1981. On February 7th, 1981, we were in church. And there was a request being made known about someone's house who had burned completely down, lost everything. You know those type of fires where you lose everything. You can't save anything but yourself. And everything had burned. Now, we're young. I'm not saying we're old now, but we were young, 1981. You might say, Doc, no money. I can tell you that the Digits that was in our account. <laughs> they were in the three category. If you can figure math. And the Lord said to both of us, and there are times you might even notice us now. Pat would look at me and I look at her because we know the Lord is speaking the very same thing to us. If you're a husband and wife, you should get an agreement on giving. And the Lord... Give it all. Empty our bank account? Yeah. Give it all. I can't tell you the amount of thousands of dollars that we've given. I, we've given so that people wouldn't be evicted. Took part of what most people said it would be dumb for you to do that. You went into your retirement and you gave that person what? Yeah, we did that. 
We've given cars away. And we're still going to keep giving. Why? Because every time we give, God gives us even more. And just like Kenneth Copeland, that Sunday before we got to the steps, or the outside steps to go to our car, the very thing that we had given, we got double. Come on, God knows how to double and bless you. But you got to have a heart to be like Jesus. Even when you think you're hurting, have compassion. And tithes and offering is about having compassion. God says, I want meat in my house. Why do you want meat in his house? Because he wants meat. Anybody know about a, a storehouse? Why do people put meat in the storehouse? Because winters are coming. Lean times are coming for people. Do you know Joseph even advised the king that during these times of, the, of, of wealth and, and abundance, there is also coming a famine time, but in the famine, you will have enough to meet your need and meet the needs of other people too. That's what giving helps you to prepare to do. You're putting something in God's storehouse. And so, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to give. We thank you for people out there in the listening and viewing audience who are going to uh, their electronic devices and giving electronically. We thank you for those that are giving physically. Uh, and we thank you, Father God, for those that are giving generously because your word says give generously. And it's going to be the way that you sow is the way that you're going to reap. You give grudgingly, the Bible says, that's how it's coming back to you. You give generously. That's how it's coming back to you. And God will prepare people to bless you. He says, when you give, it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over shall what? Men. God prepares people to bless you. So that your blessing is awaiting you right now. And Father, we thank you for being able to bless God because God has blessed us so well. And so we bring our tithes, we bring our offering with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Come now, bring your tithes, bring your offering, and then remember, we're going to sit and have communion and go out with a song.
Hallelujah. I like the context in which the Lord's Supper is presented to us. This is why it's so important for you to read every scripture in context. Because in the context of presenting these sacraments, something has happened. The disciples have been traveling with Jesus for a long period of time. They come into a place that is referred to as the upper room. And I want you to know the upper room, there are some significant things that happens. Not only is the introduction of the sacraments of communion introduced, but the introduction of the Holy Ghost takes place in the upper room as well. So when they come in, it is customary that when you have walked through the dusty streets of Israel, that there is someone who will wash your feet. But everybody is too high pollutant. Nobody is willing to humble themselves. Perhaps the doctor in the group is saying, but I'm a doctor. Surely you don't expect me to wash someone's feet. The other is probably saying, you know I work for the IRS. I'm the tax collector. Surely you don't expect me to be washing anybody's feet. And Jesus recognizes their heart, sees it very clearly that nobody is at a place of humility. Everybody say humble. humble. See, when you come to this place, this is a place of humility for the body of Christ. This is a place of humility. So Jesus walks that out. Oftentimes people say, Pastor, what does that look like? When you're preaching, sometimes the people can't seem to get to the level from the wisdom to the understanding. They'll say, then what does that look like? Well, humility is what Jesus did. The Bible says he took a towel. He girded himself. And he knelt down. You understand? This is the king of kings. This is the Lord of Lords. This is the one where every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he's Lord. Yet he dealt down, humbled himself, and washed their feet. He is now partaking of a meal that he's trying to help them to see. This is the last meal that I'll be able to take with you before I'm able to come back. How I many of you know Jesus is coming back? And this is a meal that is to serve for you and I as a reminder that he is coming back and that we should be humble and that we should occupy until he comes. And stay humble. He's not looking for perfection among the people. He is perfecting them, though. He is with one who is, and I don't want you to think of a table. I know we use that word, or ministers tend to put it in a form of where people think they're sitting at a table. They're not on the table, they're on the floor. They're eating on the floor. So when you think about the Lord's table, don't think about a table. Don't think about the, the pictures that you guys have on your walls or the little statues that you have. They're not at a table. Not, everybody's not in a straight line. Who eats in a straight line anyway? Think about your Thanksgiving table. Was everybody just in a straight line right inside each other? See, sometimes man will put his own, what do you think is a good image? But 
Bottom line, they're on the floor. They're eating. And it's customary. In the South, we call it sopping. You Anybody know what sopping is? That's when you take it and you dip it in. Well, Peter, not Peter, but Judas is dipping it in Jesus' cup. I should have had Kyle tell his story. I don't know where Kyle is right now. <laughs> Kyle tells the story and I laugh. So it's so funny because Kyle is at a, a business luncheon and he orders, you know how you go, and somebody's going away or luncheon and everybody's ordering in front of the menu and Kyle has his meal in front of him and he says there's a person sitting beside him and he realized the person took something off his plate. And he says, I, I thought it was just a coincidence, maybe just, you know, may have thought it was their plate talking. Said, but then it happened again. <laughs> Eating off his plate. And that was customary. We would later find out it was customary in this person's country to eat off of their friend's plate. It was customary for your closest friend to be able to sop theirs in your cup. This is Judas, folks. What's, what's pastor trying to say? I realize everybody in here ain't straight. They ain't always straight with me. They ain't always straight with Miss Pat. They ain't always straight with you. But we know somebody who can make the crooked straight. Amen. We know somebody who can spring up wells in the middle of deserts. That's why when I do this, I remember nothing too hard for God. See, some of us get a little agitated with people. I've learned, shut your mouth, Pastor. If they want to be agitated with you, just let them be agitated. There are people that were agitated with Jesus, and he just shut his mouth. They slapped him. They cursed him. They pulled out his beard. They were agitated. And old preachers in the South used to say, and he didn't say a mumbling word. Sometimes you don't have to say a thing. You just need to remember that God loves you. Jesus knew that his father loved him. He knew that everybody in the midst of him didn't necessarily love him, but he was loving them anyway. He's loving Judas. I do believe Judas had a chance to repent. He just didn't know where to go to repent. He went back to the same people who extorted him. See, sometimes we go and we hang out in the wrong places and with the wrong people, and there is no redemption in that. But if you go to Jesus, so here's what I want you to do. God says, don't take this in an unworthy manner. In an unworthy manner means I know I've been sinning. I've been sinning with the best of them. But yet I'll come up here and just throw the wafer in my mouth and Throw the cup on the lips. And I said, don't do that that way. If you know you've been wrong, you know you've done wrong, go to God and ask him, forgive me. Everybody close your eyes. No one looking at anyone. You're just looking in the eyes of Jesus right now. If you thought anything, did anything, omitted something that you should have been doing, and it wasn't right, ask God to forgive you. If your words have been harsh and unkind, if you 
not really told the truth. You've just been on the edge of it, but you know it wasn't true. Ask God to forgive you. Don't take this cup unworthily without discerning the body of God. Now you know this. God says, whatever you bring to him, he's faithful and just to forgive you. He didn't want you to have a moment of condemnation. He just wanted you to have a moment of conviction. Conviction is what all of us should have every day in our life. That when I'm even tempted to do something wrong, the conviction of God comes on my life. Not condemnation, because the Bible says, now there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It says, I'm in Christ. Say it again, I'm in Christ. You are in Christ. You are in Christ. You are in a loving, caring, nurturing relationship with Jesus Christ. Like a good mom and a good dad, your kids are going to mess up. I remember holding charity for the first time. Prettiest little face I ever seen in my life. Just smiling right at me. And then she had a movement. <laughs> I didn't love her any less. And there are sometimes when we have a wrong movement, but God doesn't love us any less. He just wants you to get cleaned up. He says, now my body was broken for you. My blood was poured out for you. Willingly, so that you might be cleansed and made whole. Say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I, am I am in. I am complete, I am complete. In, you. in you. You're complete. You're loved. And remember that. Take the bread, lift it up toward heaven. And we're doing this because of what we just read. You remember Jesus took the bread and they said, he looked up toward heaven. He gave thanks and he blessed it. And Father, we thank you and we are blessed. And we take this bread remembering just how blessed we are in Jesus' name. Take the bread together. Everyone take your bread together. Then the Bible says, Jesus presented the cup to them and he said this cup represents my blood a new covenant he was introducing to them and they truly understand blood covenants because blood covenants say this what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine the priest himself walked in the temple in what we would call a figure eight half of the offering as it was cut literally in half. This is God. You know, how many of you know God doesn't take everything from you? But what is yours is his. And what is his is yours. And Father, we thank you for the covenant that we have with you. We thank you for the cleansing and the washing of our sins that took place with the blood. We thank you for the life because life is in the blood. We thank you for the DNA because the DNA is in the blood. And we have your DNA. We have your life. 
And in you we purpose now to live and to move and to have our being. And we give thanks to you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, everyone take the cup together. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Sing this song. This is our going out song. Stand to your feet with us. Come on, let's just worship Jesus one more time in this place together. Amen? you to go the Bible wants you to come in with singing he wants you to go out with singing he wants you to come in with rejoicing go out with rejoicing and let it be seen in your life that you have been in the presence of the Lord amen, amen. give somebody a virtual high five God bless you and go and be blessed thanks again for joining us today here at Rainbow Family, our mission is to love God, love people, and change the world. If you would like to partner with us in any way, we encourage you to visit our website at rainbowfamilychristian.org.